I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Casey. Thank you. Uh, my name is Casey, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Casey. Um, okay, we'll start at the beginning. I came to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting on March the 15th of 1971, and I have been abstaining one day at a time imperfectly since March the 15th, 1971. And it is only because of what I've learned here and my higher power who I got to know here that this has been possible for me. Um, I came into the basement of a church in Reseda, California. I'm a valley girl. And um, I came because my sister-in-law had gone to her first meeting the week before. And I, she was telling me about this place she had gone and what they had said and all that other whatever. And I said, look, if you'll shut up, I'll go. So she shut up and I had to go because I'm a good girl and if I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. So I went to this meeting in the church, the basement church, and um, I have absolutely no idea what was said at that meeting. There was a red-headed woman who I think was the speaker, but I'm not sure. All I do remember is that I went to the literature table at the end of the meeting because I wasn't the kind of person who would talk to anybody. I was there with my sister-in-law, but there was no way I was going to say hello to anybody I didn't already know. But I could pick something up and hold it in front of my face and read it and feel safe. Uh, by way of what, what's happened and what I'm like now, when I go any place where I don't know people, I make it my business to talk to at least one person. And that talking is more than saying, hi, how are you? There has to be more to the conversation. It's not comfortable. It's still not comfortable, but I do it. That's more comfortable than not doing it. Anyways, I, ha I had whatever I had in front of my face, and this lady came up to me. And now if you're waiting for something like this to happen in, in your recovery, Forget about it. Um, she said to me, would you like me to be your sponsor? Because I think that she was fairly new and that her sponsor had sicked her on me. And uh, I said, yes, of course. I mean, what else was I going to say? And so she gave me um, a gray sheet on yellow paper. Now, at that time, the, the city was not had absolutely nothing to do with gray sheet. It was moderate meals or nothing. And we had gray sheet or nothing. And so obviously you know how we talk to each other. It wasn't real pleasant sometimes. And um, so she gave me this gray sheet on yellow paper, which should have told me something about you guys. And she said, um, call me in the morning at 7.45 and tell me what you're going to eat. And it was all spelled out there. I could take one from column A and one from column B and one from column C, and I had my um, my food plan. Now you can find gray sheet in um, 
what's it called? The Dignity of Choice. That's right. The pamphlet, The Dignity of Choice. You can find all kinds of ways of abstaining and finding yourself a food plan. So anyways, I called her the next day and I told her what I was going to eat and I thought I was going to die by 10 o'clock. So I called my sister-in-law and I said, I don't want to fall I'm so hungry. She said, well, what did you eat? And I said, well, I ate the yolk of two hard-boiled eggs and probably an orange and coffee. She said, well, next time scramble and eat the whole egg, have another cup of coffee, you'll be okay. And I learned this way that nobody dies between breakfast and lunch, between lunch and dinner, or even between dinner and breakfast. Nobody dies. When I first came into the program, I like to describe myself as a fat, angry bitch because that's exactly what I was. And... um, Now my mind went blank. There I am. It's a fat, angry bitch. Anyway, I started working with my sponsor. And it came out in working with my sponsor, of course. And um, she moved about a month after I was in the program. But fortunately, I had taken um, telephone numbers. In fact, I still have the first piece of paper that has the telephone numbers of the women that I wrote down. Now, as far as I know, none of them are still in the program unless they've moved away and they're abstaining someplace else. But I still have that list. And because I had the list, when um, she moved away, I knew that I had to call. So I called right away. And I... Now, you have to picture... Picture this, if you can, a time when there were no cell phones, no answering machines, no call waiting, no email. You called on the phone, and if they weren't there, you either called back at a later time, or you called somebody else. So I started calling. I needed a sponsor, and I needed one now. And I got somebody. She said she would be my sponsor, and I worked with her for well over a year, and she was the lady who um, took me through the first three steps and gave me a guide for writing inventory. So let's go back to that. When I came in, this is what I forgot to say before. When I came in, um, nobody was going to tell me anything about anything because nobody had ever been able to tell me anything excuse me, about anything. And I wasn't going to listen. Now, why I followed that sheet, I don't know, but I desperately wanted to lose weight. Um, I stopped my top weight, I don't know, because I stopped weighing at 189 pounds. And um, so Lord knows what it went up to, because I didn't stop eating at 189 pounds. So anyway... um, she took me through the first three steps, and um, I had—I didn't buy the big book until I was in the program for two years. What I did was borrow it from the library. It was always there when I wanted it. Apparently, nobody else wanted to borrow it. When we were married two years, uh, 20 years, and I was in the program two years, we went to Catalina. 
And there was a second-hand store there called Peddler's Three. And somebody that worked there, or the owners, were in program because there was something, some sort of a plaque hanging up, and my husband stopped to talk to them. I see, I'm not still not talking to people. So I went to the books, and in the books, there was a big book, a second edition big book. And on the front page, it says, in loving memory of a gal who didn't keep coming back long enough. That gets me every time I say it and every time I read it. I bought the book. It was a dollar. At that time, I believe the big book was selling for three and a quarter. I was not going to pay three and a quarter for a book I didn't like. A dollar was okay. I did like the AA 12 and 12, and I had bought that, and I, and I was reading that. But my sponsor had me reading certain things out of the big book. And we got to a certain point where uh, she had me to her house and we discussed the program. And I believe I read her my food history at that time. And uh, she gave me the guide for writing inventory. And I said to her at some point, I'll be damned if I'll write it. And she was very kind and gentle and very loving. And... uh, She didn't argue with me. She knew that at one point or other, I would get to a point where I had to write. And the fat, angry bitch got mad one day, and she had to write, and I sat down, and I wrote. And the anger was drained out of me like dirty bath water out of the tub. And I'm not stupid. I knew I had something here. So I started writing just as furiously as I used to stay up when I was taking pills scrubbing the bathroom at 2 o'clock in the morning I would be up writing my inventory at 2 o'clock in the morning and uh, I got a, a ways into it and I uh, I said to her you know I may write this but I'll be damned if I give it away and she didn't say anything now this all came from in the beginning when I was calling in my food to her and I said I was going to have Chinese beef. Chinese beef translates into um, stir-fry. And she says, what is Chinese beef? And I told her. And she said, we do not mix our meat and our vegetables. At that time, we didn't. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And she said something that stuck with me all these years. I know you'll make the right decision. And by saying that to me, she gave me the dignity and the responsibility to be the adult in my life. And she did that every time. Every time I dug my feet in and wouldn't go any further, she would just let me stew in my own juice until I came to a more logical conclusion as to what I was supposed to be doing. So after I told her that I wouldn't give my inventory away, I I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. One day I just had this overwhelming feeling. 
<clears throat> that I had to give it away. And so I called her and I made an appointment. She said, are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm sure. And I went to her house at 7 o'clock at night. And we finished at 3 o'clock in the morning because I write the way I speak a lot. And um, she just said, she was sitting in a rocking chair in front of the fireplace. And she rocked and she rocked and I told her about theft and I told her about slop and I told her about this and I told her about that and then I got to sex. Now I was a virgin when I got married but in my mind, good grief, I was just awful. And so I looked at her and she's still rocking in the chair and I started to read this part of my inventory that was about sex. And she kept right on rocking and listening and she didn't jump up and say oh my god get out of here I never want to see you again or anything like that she just rocked and when I was done she said the most wonderful thing to me she said you are forgiven and I was for everything that I had ever said felt or done that I wish I hadn't and then we burned it in the fireplace and I went home and that night I led my first meeting and I probably was 10 feet off of the ground and I just felt absolutely wonderful it was a marvelous experience with me now when I read my inventory and before I left her house we made a list of my character defects and then we made a list of all the people I had harmed. And then we asked God to remove my defects of character with the seventh step prayer. And then I had that list of people I had harmed. So when I walked out of her house, I was on step eight and a half. Whoa! And then I had to make amends. Well, I talked to her a lot about things that I had to make amends about and checked them out with her so that I did them as I'm supposed to do them um, as an adult asking for, for forgiveness and telling the person that I was working program and that I did not intend to do that type of activity again. A lot of my amends had to be living amends especially to my children and my husband who had gotten the brunt of that fat, angry bitch. And um, so I did make them. One of them, um, I used to steal greeting cards from the store when I went. I made, would draw my, or write my shopping list on a steno pad. And then I would pick up a greeting card or two or whatever, and I would just hold them in my hand on the back of the, of the list that had had my shopping uh, on it and if I were to get to the um, cashier and they were to fall out or she was to notice them or whatever I would say oh excuse me and I would pay for them but if she didn't haha they were mine and so I had to make amends for that and Lord knows where I took them from or how many I took or how long it took me to to do all this and so I, I started uh, sending checks to these organizations that would send me greeting cards 
because I figured, okay, they're a charity. I don't know what else to do, and so I did this. And after a couple of years, I thought, you know, I think maybe I paid this back. And so I stopped, and I don't buy those cards anymore. Uh, I either go out and buy one or I make one, one of the two. So that brings me then to step 10. And the operative word in step 10 is continue. Continue to take personal inventory when I was wrong, promptly admitted it. That continue means go back to step four, write some inventory, discuss it with somebody, list your character defects, list the people you've harmed, ask God to remove them, uh, take that list of people that you had harmed, become willing to make amends to them, and then make them. That's what that continue means to me. And that's what I've been doing all these years. It's been uh, 36 years. Then that brings me to step 11. Stop through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understand Him. When I came to the program, I believed in God. But I had no conscious contact. Now, there were, every now and then, if somebody had really pissed me off, I'd go into the living room... I'd hold, make my a fist, and I would look at the ceiling, and I would say, "How long, God? How long?" I was very dramatic, and um, how long until they shaped up and did what I wanted them to do? How long do I have to put up with this kind of activity or this kind of behavior? It wasn't how long until I got wise to what I was doing and changed what I was doing. When I came to the program, I believed in God. I had no conscious contact, and that's what I've learned here. See, what I had to do is I had to put down the fork. That's why my absolute state is the date that I came into this program. I had to put down the fork. Now, some other people don't put down the fork. I had to put down the fork. When I put down the fork, then I could listen to what you people were saying, and I could hear the steps. At this point in the valley, I point to the wall where the steps are written. I think they're over there. And um, and I could hear the steps, and then I could listen to what everyone else was saying. And from listening and asking questions and having people share their spiritual experience with me, I came to have conscious contact with my higher power. Now, this bad, angry bitch got up in the morning, and she was angry, and I asked my um, sponsor, what can I do? I wake up, I'm, I'm just so angry every morning. And she said, take your AA 24-hour book, because there was no OA literature at that time, take your big book and take your AA 12 and 12 and put them in the bathroom. When you get up, go directly to the bathroom. Pick up the 24-hour book. Pick up the big book. Read 24-hour. Read two pages in the big book. Next day, get up. Do the same thing. When you get to the end of the big book, pick up the 12 and 12 and go through it two pages a day. We're reading this as a textbook for living, not as a romance novel. It needs to be studied. We study the steps so that we can learn what's in there. And we can make it part of ourselves. And so I did that. And, that, and then she had me get down on my knees. I said, ooh, 
wait a minute, I'm Jewish, I don't do that. She says, don't worry about it. So I would get down on my knees and I would say the third step prayer, holding the book, the seventh step prayer, the serenity prayer, and whatever other prayers I wanted to say. I don't do that anymore because my old knees do not like the hard floor in the bathroom, and so I do that mostly in the car or any place else. Anyways, um, I would do that. So that was my first conscious contact with God in the morning before I got up and yelled at my husband or my kids. And that grew. That just continued to grow until I know that my higher power is my source. And that is where my strength comes from. And I would not be here today, and I would not be doing what I'm doing, if it wasn't for my higher power. So that brings us to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result, the only result of working this program. Because without that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening, Nothing else happens. We're stuck in limbo. And so because of that, I now can talk to people in a room where I don't know them. I can stand up here in front of you and talk to you. Um, I can work. When I came in, I was at home um, married. I was married for, I think, 18 and a half, 18 and a half years. Um, and I went to work after I'd been in the program about a year and a half. And I worked for 17 and a half years, and I've been retired for 17 years or so. If you're adding it up, I'm 73. And um, so I've had a lot of, I had somebody call me a Renaissance woman once, because I've had a lot of changes in my life. You know, going from cookie baker, homemaker, to out in the working world where I had a responsible job and then retired where I do volunteer work and I'm home alone with a refrigerator on a daily basis but I'd, I only eat three meals a day and uh, a snack when I need it because I'm now hypoglycemic. Things do change as you get older, I'll tell you. Anyways, um, I will... Do you know how much longer I have? Really? Okay. So let's uh, compare some of the things that have happened to me since coming to the program. As I told you, um, I went to work. No, I'll go back further than that. The year I went up to 189 and stopped weighing but didn't stop eating, my mother died. I was pregnant with my third child. And uh, my mother died, and while we were still in mourning, my grandmother died. And I was pregnant. And so I consoled myself with food. I was 25 years old, and I became the matriarch of the family. Um, I was extremely aggravated with God. I was really pissed off at him. How dare he take my mother and leave me with this brat, my, my uh, second son, third child, and um, I did a good job of acting out on myself. Okay, fast forward to 1988, 
when I'd been in a program for over 10 years. And my father died. I came home one day from work and there was a message on my answering machine. We're a little more modern now. We have an answering machine. And his wife um, left this message. Uh, Your father died. He's going to be cremated. His ashes will be distributed at sea. And that was about what she said. So I listened. I called her right back. You know, I, I needed some clarification on this. You know. And she repeated it. And what she added was that his clothing had been given to the senior center. This is the same day he died. I put down the phone and with my hand still on the phone, I said out loud, I will not eat over this. And I didn't. I was with my sponsor. I wrote an inventory like you wouldn't believe. Um, I went to the, the beach with my sponsor and her husband. And they had fire pits at this beach. And it was very windy. It was toward evening. And he climbed into the pit to shield the um, the paper so that it could burn. And while it was burning, the ash turned black. And the wind came and blew it all away. And all of my anger and frustration and everything else that I had been feeling left me. It was a, it was a wonderful visual for me plus all the work that I had done. Okay, go backwards uh, to I was in the program about mm, two and a half years or so. And uh, I came home from a meeting one night, and my husband said, now we're Jewish, and my husband said, the church called to confirm the date of Mark's baptism. Mark is our oldest son. That doesn't happen in a Jewish family. (laughs) Well, truth be told, my son did become born again. And then my daughter became born again. And then my second son became born again. And when he reached the age of 15, my youngest son, our youngest son, became born again. And they attended the church in whose basement I attended my first meeting. Now, there started two years of inventory writing like I had never written inventory before. I wrote an inventory on my religious belief. I wrote an inventory on my mothering. That was a doozy. And... um, What I came to learn was that because they are my, my is a possessive word. If it's mine, I get to tell it what to do, put it where I want it, have it act the way I want it to act. Well, that's not exactly the way it works 
with children. They don't do that, even though they are mine. So, if they had been people in the program, I would have understood that they had a God that they understood, because it tells us that in the program, and it would have been okay with me, but because they're my children, it wasn't okay. And I had to get over it. And it took me two years to get over it. And a lot of crying and a lot of writing and a lot of talking. And I can talk to you about it and not cry. I can even laugh about it sometimes. Not today, but sometimes. Um, what happened was that um, my after this two years of what I would call estrangement, my daughter said she wanted to talk to me. And so we met for lunch. That's all we say. And um, we talked. And what she told me was that she was planning on starting a family. Her wedding was extremely difficult for me. Uh, but I got through it. I, I had a program friend with me. And um, that was a big help to have somebody in the program with me. So anyway, she uh, wanted to start a family, and she wanted me to be part of my grandchildren's lives. And so I said, okay. Now, you have to know that when they first converted, they were extremely enthusiastic, and they tried to convert us, both of us. I mean, they came over and they talked to us. And they told us chapter and verse. And then they told us again and then again and then again and one more time and then once more. And I was not, absolutely not, going to have that again. I had realized that if her name was Susie Q, I would not have allowed her to come into my home and talk to me that way. And the same with the other, well two at that time because the younger one was still too young. And so um, I told her that. So we, we made some ground rules. We would not discuss religion. If the children were ever to ask me about religion, I was to refer them to their parents. I can live with that. And so we started developing a different relationship because it was on a different level. It was a different tone. Uh, they were not the children that I had raised. They were their own people. And so um, what happened was that the four of them had ten grandchildren, and now we even have a great-grandson. So it makes for a rather large family. We still do not discuss religion. I do not discuss religion with um, my grandchildren either. Our uh, youngest grandson is five, and he goes to church. They all go to church. They are very religious. And um, the other day, I, I take care of him on Tuesdays, and the other day... Uh, we were in the living room where all his toys are. He looked at me and he said, Grandma, 
Let's pray, pray to Jesus. I said, okay, honey, you do that. He puts his head down on the, on the floor with his hands, uh, his hands down, puts his head on his hand, and he mutters something under his breath that I couldn't understand. I laughed. He smiled. I'm, I'm laughing with you now. And it's okay. It feels serene inside here. I think that my main attempt for me has been that I achieve a serenity inside and maintain it. So I maintain it by having a food plan and not wondering whether should I or shouldn't I. Should I? I love fried chicken. I don't eat fried chicken. But every time I go into a restaurant, if there's fried chicken on the menu, that thought does cross my mind. Gee, fried chicken would be really good. No, it really wouldn't be. Not only because it's not on my food plan, but it's not on my doctor's health plan either. So, um, fried chicken is out. Um, my relationship with my children is, is good. It's not as wonderful as I would like it. They did not do everything I wanted them to do. One thing I learned in here was that acceptance, you know, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. Acceptance does not mean approval. Amazing! I can accept you, but I don't have to approve of what you do. That is very freeing as far as I'm, I'm concerned. And that is what I read. That is the first thing I read every morning. I have a bookmark that's in my OA 24-hour uh, book. And it's acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. It's that whole little paragraph from um, Dr. Paul's story. Which they moved to the wrong page in the new edition. Um, see, now that, now that I'm into the books, I want them exactly the way they used to be. And the way, of course, I have, I have a facsimile first edition, a second edition, several of those a couple of third editions, and a fourth edition, because I have to read the new stories. I even bought the book that has all the stories from the first three editions that are not in the fourth edition, because I don't want to lose track with any of these people, because I've been reading their stories for a long, long time. So let's see. Oh, yeah. Then I went to work. Oh, Dear, poor baby had to go to work. Wasn't that a shame? Hmm. Well, you know what? When I drove out of that parking lot every night, I wasn't the only one driving out. There were a lot of other people who were going to work on a daily basis. I went to work um, as a secretary, and they trained me their way. And I eventually got a promotion, and I had a secretary, and I traveled for business, and it was all very wonderful and terrific and super, and wasn't that exciting, et cetera, et cetera. And then it got very boring. I don't like being out of town for for five days at a time, 24-7 with attorneys and going out to dinner at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night and having to be up at 8 o'clock in the morning to go out to breakfast to go and blah, 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 blah. And I just, you know, after a while, it just got to be too much. And so when our accountant said that 
yeah, I could retire. Because I had want see, I wanted to retire on day one at work. And um, so I thought to myself, well, can I really do this? You know, can we do this? And um, so what I did was I acted as if I was going to retire. This was like April, you know, when you do your taxes or March. And I got all my files in order and everything. And, but every time I thought of telling my boss that I was going to retire, I would start to cry because it really was a good job and I liked the people that I worked with and I wanted to retire. So I, I kept thinking about it and praying about it and writing about it and talking to my sponsor, should I, shouldn't I, you know, whatever. And finally I made the decision. I got to the point... I kept testing it. I would think about it in the shower, so if I cried, it didn't make any difference. And so, finally, I wasn't crying, and I was thinking about retiring. So I went to work, and I told my boss that I was going to retire, uh, this was September, at the end of the year. And deep down inside, there was a little part of me that thought, you know what, as soon as you tell them you're going to retire, they're going to say, well, since you're going to retire, you might as well just leave today. They didn't. They tried to convince me to stay on. But I was um, 57 and a half years old. I'd been working for 17 and a half years, and that was well past the early retirement on both counts, and I was going to retire. And so I did. On December the 31st of 1989, I... uh, was the last one out. I put my keys on the office manager's desk. I shut off the lights. I locked the door. And I walked out. And I didn't look back. And I haven't since. Now, it was interesting figuring out what I was going to do. So first, I volunteered at a kindergarten reading to children, which I love to do. And that was really fun for one year. And then I was supposed to go back in September and do it all over again. Bless you. Um, I didn't want to. Okay. So the next thing I did was volunteer at a hospital where they had uh, a recovery unit. Oh, man, a recovery unit. They had me doing secretarial work. I didn't want to do that. I didn't get to talk to any of the patients at all. Of course, most of them were alcoholics or narcotics addicts, and they were detoxing. So what did they want from me anyway? But um, so I stopped working there, and then one day I thought I was going to the Jewish Community Center, which was not far from my house, to volunteer. And I ended up at the Jewish Home for the Aging, and I have absolutely no idea how that happened. One is on Van Owen, one is on Victory, and I had no idea how I got there. And when the coordinator said to me, why did you, why are you volunteering? I said, I have no idea. I, this isn't the place I was going. But I'm still there. That was in 1993, and I'm still there, and I love it. I have found out since being in this program and I am an artist. And I sculpted for about 12 years, I think. And then I was done sculpting for whatever reason. 
And now I am a quilter. And I love to quilt and I quilt as much as I can all the time. And uh, I'm philanthropy chair for the, um, the quilt association that I belong to. And this year our um, main project is making quilts for the wounded veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I had the pleasure of being able to pass out some of those at the VA down here in West L.A. Uh, at the beginning of June. They had a, a big do there, and a lot of the guys came by. We gave them quilts, and that was a wonderful thing to do, especially those four Marines in their dress uniforms. They looked so good. And um, so I abstain on a daily basis. I have a conscious contact with my higher power. I talk to my sponsor five days a week at least, and uh, I read every day. I go to meetings. I sponsor people, and I do the best I can on a daily basis to work this program as best I can. Nothing is perfect. I am human. You should have heard me in the car on the way down here when we couldn't find this place. (laughs) But you know what? I'm still a human being. No matter how spiritual you get, you're still a human being. And I'm still a human being. And I thank you very much for asking me to share with you today.